So please stretch a little um, so and move a little closer. Uh, listen deeply and see what resonates for you. Hopefully a little fertilizer for the composting of your meditation practice. Two ducks have hardly moved sitting on rocks around the pond, chickens on their roost. After a cover of clouds for most of the morning, it feels like the sun's coming out. Yoo-hoo! What's alive for you over there right now? A little story about the Buddha. I don't know if I have it 100% accurate, but I think he was walking with uh, Manjushri, and Manjushri asked him, where is a good place to build a temple? And uh, the Buddha bent down, and he brought up a piece of grass, and he said, put it down again, right here. And then he did it, right here, right here. In other words, everywhere is a good place to build a temple. So I'm thinking that that in your own, your very own way is what starts to happen during Yongmen Junction, not just in the seat that you're in right now, but wherever you go. We say the mundane is the sacred and through our sincere devoted practice, it happens. I saw a film a few weeks ago. It's the only one I've seen all year, and it's my favorite one so far. And it is called Minari, M-I-N-A-R-I. Have any of you seen it? Put up your thumb if you've seen it. Yeah, I see two, Bukmi and Hayun, yeah. It's my favorite film for so many reasons. And one of them is its title. Minari, well, was the name of the plant that the Honima brought from Korea, the grandmother brought from Korea with some hot sauce and some anchovies and some money that she saved to help her family here in North America. And she brought the seeds of the Minari plant and um, uh, Lee Isaac Jung explained in an interview which I heard from him with on, on Fresh Air that the Minari plant is a very special plant. And it was to his grandmother um, because it can be planted in the most unfertile of and difficult of circumstances and flourish and while flourishing enrich the whole area. And I thought, 
it's a pretty good plant. And I feel the same about a people who are like us. There's so many of us in these circumstances, pretty challenged in many ways. Some days not so. And though in a difficult circumstance, through our practice, we can become like Minari, growing, fertilizing, nourishing. Yeah. All right, next, um, a correction from last night. If you were here, you'll remember I told the, um, the story of the 1,000 monks from Tang China uh, working with one hill at Neiwansa, Neiwansa Monastery, studying the Flower Ornament Sutra and all of them getting enlightened, a thousand monks. And I went back to the story and looked at it and it said that they all reached the final stage of spiritual progress. So I think they were all very close to enlightenment. So I'd like to just correct that. It's hard for me to imagine a thousand people, how they could even get together and do it all without even any technology. And I'm sure that there weren't books like we have them. So probably they were relying on somebody's memory of the Flower Ornament Sutra. It must have indeed been kind of Minari and also magic. Yeah. So end of correction. And also, if you've been with the Young Junction so far, the stories I've told have mostly been about Zen masters and men. And last night, and these thousand monks from Tang China. So I decided to do, do what the actually, the um, filmmaker of Minari did when he decided to do the film, he sat down with a cup of coffee and he wrote it because it's quite autobiography mostly from of his own life. And he decided to write all the little anecdotes that he um, could think of, of about his life and growing up with his parents and his grandmother coming to help them over here in uh, the United States. So I sat down with a cup of green ginger tea we're taking a break on coffee during Young Men Junction, and I just started to write down a lot of the stories about women who have also contributed to our tradition. Ultimately, we want to be sort of androgynous so that we can embody the qualities of both men and women and beyond. But of course, we're born in a certain way and we get conditioned in a certain way. Anyway, I'd like to add a little spice of women to this talk. And I'd like to share, first of all, the one woman who was the, um, Nawan Saw has quite a reputation since the time of one hill of 
many rich spiritual um, experiences taking place there. It's a beautiful place and it was a beautiful monastery. It was burned down during the Korean War. So the Chogi order in Korea asked Suwak Sunam to reestablish Nawansa. And she was um, uh, a nun stable in her practice and I believe she had been the guide in a meditation hall for nuns. So she agreed and she went to the site and it took her many years, sometimes almost by herself, to fully reestablish Nawansa to the training monastery that it is for Buddhist nuns these days. It's a powerful place. When I went, it was palpable, the meditation practice that was going on. Not only in the hall, but by watching. They were very quiet. They didn't speak to us at all. We just watched. Uh, their practice was palpable. And so Suwaksa almost single-handedly raised money and worked with all the people that restored the monastery that you would see today if you were to go to Korea. So that's a, a wonderful thing uh, for us to remember. The next Sunim is Monsam Sunim. She's a contemporary of Suwak Sunim. And she emphasized the fact of practicing continuously without discriminating between the beginning and end of the meditation period. Did you get that one? She emphasized the fact of practicing continuously without discriminating between the beginning and end of the meditation period. So she's a woman who offered to us continuous practice. And for us to deeply consider that, um, because it's so easy to just drop a practice when you finished your meditation. But very important that as we progress, we begin to find that it just comes to us because we've been working with it well when we're not formally doing meditation. Have you ever had that experience where your practice just came to you? Yeah? Further about Monsang Sunim, as she grew older, she put all her strength into cherishing and protecting the community to the point that there was not a single place in the grounds of the nunnery that her hands had not touched. Her nature was frank, stern, even severe, but she could also be kind and concerned. She became a living symbol of a committed practitioner for many Zen nuns and monks. Yeah. Okay. 
just a little bit about some formal teachers. Now, to go to some actual ones that I was um, uh, lucky enough to meet and have been lucky enough to work with, who are in the process of establishing our temples and establishing um, Buddhism uh, in the West. So important. First of all, when I went to the temple, there were just a few Canadians, but there were quite a lot of Koreans, and uh, most of them were women. There were one or two men who would come along. And most of them came to, this, to Canada uh, to help their children, who were usually running variety stores. And they were here there in Canada, um, usually looking after the children. And they always had Sunday off. And so it was a very happy time for them to come to the temple and um, to see uh, uh, Samusunim. It was so good to see a monk because they were used to that in Korea and to see each other because they felt very isolated. Sometimes they would bring their grandchildren and it was a, a joyous time. They would cook food together. The most delicious Korean food on the planet at the time we thought. And they would do the services together. And sometimes Sunim would um, have to go somewhere else and he would ask me to lead them. And I felt like it was, um, I couldn't really do it, but I couldn't really refuse. So I would do Yebo and start out. And these Korean women all had a different tune for Yebo from me. So it's really hard to lead. In fact, each one of them had a different tune from the other ones, because if you go to Korea, you'll find that in certain areas, one version of Yebol is chanted, in another area, another version. So they brought a whole cacophony of Yebol. And I just tried to play the mokok and mumble along. And they were with it, you know? It doesn't matter if uh, old Sukha, which was my name there, doesn't know much about Yebol or Buddhism. At least she's playing the mokok. And two of the those postal nims who were so spunky, particularly stood out to me. One of them, her name was Kondakshim postal nim. And she was short and a little bit plump. And she always had a big grin on her face. And usually the first thing she would do when she would get to the temple would be to get her beads. And we had some beads were not just 108 beads, but 1,008. And Kondakshim Poselnim liked to sit down by the basket. It was quite a basket of these beads and go through them, Quincium Posel, Quincium Posel, before she got started on cooking. And then after, during the cooking stopped, everyone did the service. She was such a character on um, Buddha's birthday when we had this spontaneous entertainment and everybody was singing 
and dancing and she got up she broke some chopsticks she put them in her nostrils so, so there she was this plumpish lady with these half chopsticks in her nostril dancing a traditional Korean folk song and everyone just clapping and happy. It was so good to experience that. It was a time when we were doing a lot of renovation. So all of this in the midst of the renovation of a quite small place, there was renovation in the yard and except for the songbong, it seems like there was renovation in every room. And so, and also we were working out a lot to pay for the cost. Sunam used to do moving. And uh, uh, Sujata did calligraphy. And uh, I um, went to construction sites and picked up drywall and threw them in our truck and then went to the dump and dropped it off and came back for another load, often with my daughter, who is about one and a half or two in the seat beside me in the truck. So it was, um, there were many other things that we did too, because it, it's called cobbling together our Sangha, our Buddha Dharma and Sangha. And so Kondak Shim, she would come up to us and she would hold our hands and most of us had dirt under our fingernails and cracks in our fingers and in our palms because of all the work that we were doing. And she would hold our hands and say, these are such beautiful. And she would say it in Korea, I go. It's a kind of a word that means amazing, wonderful. Is that, it's beautiful. These are beautiful hands. These dirty, well-worn hands. So she was our cheerleader, as were all the other um, uh, Korean ladies, each in their own way. Monsam Posalnim, and Sunim has written about her, was a really quiet one compared to Kongyap Jim. And she would come, she was quite thin, and she would wear some meditation clothes. If I remember, sometimes a skirt that would come down almost to the floor. And once before we got to our 40, 46 Gwyn Avenue temple in our basement on Markham Street, Sunim found Masam Posulnim making in the kitchen a deep bow to a mouse that was sitting up on its haunches on the floor. It was just so touching to hear this story and to know that she had done it because she was a very, very devoted person. So everything she done did around our little uh, basement temple was it felt like she was making it sacred. So those were two of the wonderful Korean postalims, and there were more. Then I like to say that this spirit, because for some of us, and because of the practice, has continued on. And so I think it's continued on in our Canadian Sangha by women and also by men, of course. Here in our uh, American Sangha, in our Mexico Sangha, with little touches really from the 10 directions. From women, I'm thinking of particularly 
but I know that men have been an integral uh, part of that. And I would say that each of you here, by your very turning up, not only for this retreat and these formal sessions, but however you're turning up in your life, is part of the process of the transmission of Buddhism from the East to the West. I bring uh, uh, another question. I keep asking you little questions. What, the question is, what is the gate of Zen? And the answer, giving completely, complete giving. Via hands, via our whole body. When we rest, when we meditate, in all the moments of our life, Can we lean in and give to it completely? So I encourage you, especially in this last full day of Yongmen Zhongjin, to give yourself in your neck of the woods. As it's been said, it is not that you cannot do it. It's that you do not do it. Please see what you can do. And we'll do it, we'll try our best over here as well. <laughs>